So we had to have a little uh, shake-up before we get started. So <laughs> does anybody want to start with a prayer? Anybody want to volunteer? Sure, perfect. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and deliver but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Dr. Suella Nolan. The talk tonight is on authentic femininity. Very, <laughs> very important topic in our world. I'm going to start out with a quote from St. Edith Stein. She says, A woman naturally seeks that which is living, personal, and whole. Women naturally seek to embrace that which is living, personal, and whole. To cherish, guard, protect, nourish, and advance growth is her natural maternal yearning. In her treatment of the soul, again, Edith Stein, says women share one common characteristic, a longing to give love and to receive love. And in this respect, a yearning to be raised above a narrow day-to-day -day existence into the realm of a higher being. And we know that higher being is God. In um, one of John Paul II's writing on the dignity of women, he says this, Every individual is made in the image of God insofar as he or she is a rational and free creature, capable of knowing God and loving him, Moreover, we read that man cannot exist alone. He can only exist as a unity of the two, and therefore in relation to another human person. Man and woman, created as a unity of the two in their common humanity, are called to live in a communion of love, and in this way to mirror in the world the communion of love that is in God through which the three divine persons love each other in the intimate mystery of one divine life. And we talked about that when we did the talk on theology of the body, how we have the obedience of Christ, who walked his mission to the cross, to the crucifix, for the redemption of our sins, to conquer death and sin, the love of God the Father that had a perfect plan from the beginning of time for all of humanity to be redeemed, and to have eternal life with him. And those two elements of the Trinity, then together within what we know ha that happened on that cross, that supernatural, powerful, earth-shattering, never-before-in-history event, the redemption of all of humanity. And we know that what bursts forth from that, eventually, at Pentecost, then, is the Holy Spirit. And when John Paul II is speaking of this in, in this document, he's also talking about the unity that we mimic in marriage, the unity between two in one, that also has the ability to create life. To create life. So, husband, wife, obedience and love, that love takes on an essence, ultimately, in the miracle act, and life bursts forth. 
So that's what he's referring to, that the concept of the interaction between the two. So when we're going to talk about the dignity of women, in a little bit we're going to talk about what the world says about that in the present life, but right now we're going to go back to the beginning of time. We'll go back to Genesis and what happened, you know, related to man and woman during that time. And, you know, here we have Adam who's created. He's, he's the created creature of God, and he's given dominion, and dominion over all the animals, and he even is called to name them. He names the animals. But what we know as his Adam's solitude is as he's going through this and he's, he's you know, traveling the earth with God, he's understanding the difference between him and God. He's not God. He's not the essence of God, the nature of God. But he's also not the created creatures that he's naming. And so he has his solitude. And he knows he's alone. He knows he's different and he's alone. And the beauty of that is we know, we know the story, God is going to answer that. He's going to answer that. But what I love about it is God answers Adam's desire even before he can, he can say, this is wrong, this is different, I'm, I'm missing this, I'm lonely for this. God already has a plan for him and for, and for humankind. And so we know what he does. He takes Adam, puts him to sleep, removes his rib, and creates from that rib his helpmate, which is woman. The, the scripture says that Adam spoke this scripture after woman is revealed to him. And he says, bone from my bone, flesh from my flesh, and the two shall become one flesh. So we see also that woman is defined as a helpmate for Adam. And, you know, that kind of sounds like kind of a, just a mediocre kind of role or stance that woman takes, you know, coming from under the arm of Adam. But if we look into scripture and what is expressed in the term of help me, here, the creation of woman is thus marked from the onset by the principle of help, a help which is not one-sided, but mutual. Women complement man just as man complements woman. Men and women are complementary. Womanhood expresses the human as much as manhood does, but in a different and complementary way. We see the word helpmate in scripture referring to not only acting, as in Eve will act in that role with Adam and it will be mutual and complementary because Adam will act in that role as well with Eve, but also as being, being. And it continues and says, womanhood and manhood are complementary not only from the physical and psychological points of view, but also from the ontological. It is only through the duality of the masculine and the feminine, the two together. Masculine and feminine, the two together, complementary, that the fullness of humanity, of humanness, is realized. We become fully human in relationship. In relationship. And we understand that that relationship, you know, ultimately first it's, it's vertical, it's that relationship we have with God the Father, and then it's horizontal, it's that relationship that we share with another person. We also have God defined in the Psalms as helpmate, 
as helper, and it says it's very present help in trouble. So again, it kind of alters the definition of what a helpmate is and the active role of a woman and a, and a man in their situations that are complementary. Helper is also described in an active role in military situations in scripture. So woman could also have the role of being fighter alongside of Adam. A helpmate stands alongside. She's physically from his side and corresponds to him perfectly. She is the opposite of him in more ways than one. She's a counterpart, not a duplicate. So then, again, we're going to kind of continue the story from the garden. We have Adam and Eve there, and we have, you know, God has given them one command. He, he can commune with them all consistently on a daily basis with them. He's present to them. And he's given them the, the one instruction that they're not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, we break this down and we understand that once they commit that act, which we know that they do together, the serpent goes to Eve, tempts Eve, Eve takes it to Adam, boom, they live that out. They then become like God because they then begin to make the decision on what constitutes good for them and what constitutes evil. So they usurp God's position. And, you know, again, that, that division between our roles, between creation and creator, has become the history of our sin. That's what we do ultimately when we walk into sin, is we decide that what we know God has pointed out as good and evil, we're gonna then make the decision on it. For ourselves and so we, we fall into sin self-giving then this mutual self-givingness this this helpmate this relationship that's complementary flips and becomes selfishness it becomes disordered we understand in our culture today the arguments and the fight that women have put forward in attempting to be equal to men but what one concept that they're missing in this element is it's often betrayed as being equal in productivity, in production, in jobs, in those kind of things, where their value, their value and dignity is grounded on this productivity, instead of grounded just simply on their essence in being created in the image and likeness of God, partners within serving God that filters down through all humanity. We know that from that point on, everything is flipped. The natural order of love is flipped. Man then is led into, instead of seeing Eve as an equal counterpart, and fully giving himself to her, then Eve, the, the whole distortion of their concept of each other is changed. This is when lust and shame first make their way into our, our human relationships. And woman then becomes more objectified because that selfless giving is flipped on the end. And our culture is fully bought into that. We also know when women fail to genuinely give and receive this love, they inevitably fall into the weaknesses 
to which they are most prone. It began with the first battle of the sexes, Adam and Eve turning from God's ultimate plan of total self-donation, self-giving, to lust, shame, pleasure-seeking, victimization, impulse became a, a domination and subjugation of women. Women became an object to possess, not a gift. So you kind of following? This is the theology behind the shift in the culture that has happened over centuries, and most especially, as we know, in our last century. What did we have in the 60s? We had a sexual revolution, we had a drug revolution, we had a free love revolution, and the whole flipping of the objectification of women and turning people into you know, very hedonistic, pleasure-focused individuals went rampant, went crazy. And, and we've, we've moved on from that point. And you know, we know that there's a spiritual world that exists. And likely we know that better than most people out there in the culture because we're involved in our Catholic faith. We have, um, you know, we have the angels and saints, mystical body. We have, uh, we have the Eucharist and what happens on the altar with consecration. We have, um, we have stories that have happened in miracles related to the Eucharist. You know, we have, we have a mystical presence within our church. We have the apparitions of Our Lady around the world for centuries that have been, that have been validated and confirmed in many ways. So we, as Catholics, understand that there's a spiritual world that exists in counter to this physical world that we dwell in. But a lot of people out there do not. You know, they're, they're not in tune with it. They're more in tune with the physicalness of the world. And they neglect the spiritual part of, of life. And that's kind of our mission, is to consistently remind people, bring them back to the reality of how we're made, body, mind, and spirit. All in one, three-dimensional, not just two. And it's very interesting because there's a priest who's actually an exorcist, Father Ripperger, who speaks a lot on the different cultural swings and different things that have happened. Of course, he's, he's an exorcist, so he's got a lot of experience with the spiritual realm, more than we ever would probably care to know. But, you know, he gave this talk not very long ago about, again, the things that happened within, that, within the culture, especially within the 60s and how these movements were ushered in. And he talked about the levels of, of the spiritual warfare in life related to darkness. And he, he spoke of five levels of what he called like generals underneath Satan, the ultimate fallen angel. And we're going to just briefly talk about two because they, they fit directly into this talk. But one of them is, one of them is called Baal. You guys probably heard that term before. This is a demon of impurity. His, his job, his mission in darkness is to corrupt the morals in the culture by pushing impurity, he drives the destruction of marriage by the collapse of sexual morality. And again, it goes back to what happened within the 60s, right? We all know that there was a whole movement that, that just sent the ball rolling, and we have the repercussions of that we see every day in our culture. Explosion of pornography, we have um, you know people that are cohabitating instead of marriage, marriage has gone down as far as people seeing that as a sacrament and a way to live out their life. Family sizes are smaller, etc. The other, the other demon that I talked about is Belthelmanon, which is the demon of child sacrifice. 
And we know that with the culture of this movement of sexual expression, there has to be a source to deal with the natural order of what woman is created for, which is to co-create with God. And so what happens? We know the abortion statistics and you know the practice of it has, has skyrocketed, skyrocketed, gone, gone through the roof. And Father, Father Reckenberger says that the state of the church is part of the issue related to what's happened with these forces having the power within our, within our world because we've lost virtue and we've lost respect for our dignity and our the value that we have in being created differently as man and woman. And he says, he makes a statement that says that during the time of the last 35 years, because of the court systems within the United States, we have basically given over our culture to these demonic forces because we've legalized some of these issues. We've taken away the role of woman in her natural order in co-creating, and that being uh, you know, something dignified and beautiful and held up in high honor, and we've flipped it around. And even what happens in that has, has then gone into, the, you know, into, into dark ways. And John Paul II goes on and said, actually this is Alice von Hildenberg. She says, because a woman by her very nature is maternal, for every woman, whether married or unmarried, they are called upon to be a biological, psychological, or spiritual mother. She knows intuitively that to give, to nurture, to care for others, to suffer with and for them, for maternity implies suffering, is infinitely, infinitely more valuable in God's sight than to conquer nations and fly to the moon. So, you know, here's, here's what womankind does. We co-create with God. We have the ability to create life within our womb. We bear humankind underneath our heart for nine months. We form them with the flesh of our bodies. We form them. We nurture them. We give them life. We love them. And then we bear them out into the world. What a, what a tremendous gift that we have. That's our vocation and our nature. And it's beautiful. And it doesn't annihilate our abilities then to also contribute in society and have jobs. And the, the sense of our deepest nature, there's, there's a struggle against it and against validating that. John Paul II wrote in 1995, he wrote a letter to women. And he was motivated to do that because they were having a Beijing conference. And what they noticed during this time was most of the agenda had to do with very feminist, radically feminist issues. Very little was mentioned that talked about a woman related to motherhood and related to her vocation in marriage. And he wanted to then address the women of the world. And it's really beautifully done. If you've never read it, it's, it's a sh kind of not a really long read, but it's very beautiful. And he starts it out and he goes through all the different areas of women. And he'll say, to women who are mothers, you know, you hold the heart of mankind, 
you know, and you bear them out into the world. To women who are workers, you, you, so on and so on. To women who are grandmothers, to women who are single, to women who are called to the religious life. He covers all the bases, and, it, and it's so beautiful. And he, he admires and holds to a higher level their, their dignity and value in each stage and vocation that they're, that they're called to. He examines the compassionate nature of women, and he writes this, perhaps more than men, women acknowledge the person because they see persons with their hearts. They see them independently of various ideological or political systems. They see others in their greatness and limitations. They try to go out to them and help them. In this way, the basic plan of the Creator takes flesh in the history of humanity. There it is constantly revealed in the variety of vocations that beauty, not merely physical, but above all spiritual, which God bestowed from the very beginning on all, and in a particular way, on women. There's one more quote that's so beautiful that I, that I want to read. Let's see. The soul of a woman must be expansive and open to all human beings. It must be quiet so that no small, weak flame will be extinguished by stormy winds. Warm so as not to be numb, fragile buds. Empty of itself in order that extraneous life may have room in it. Finally, mistress of itself and also of its body, so that the entire person is ready at the disposal of every call. Now that's a powerful woman. That's a description of a powerful woman. You know, we also have Mary as our role model. And we know that during the time of, of Jesus walking the earth, that women were not upheld in any way. And yet, you know, here she was called by God. And she has this tremendous experience of being a young, young girl, like 14, 13, 14, 15 years old. And the angel Gabriel appears to her and tells her she has this great mission, which is the greatest mission of any woman. She's going to bear Christ into the world for the salvation of our souls. She's going to nurture him in her womb, raise him from childhood, and then let him go to fulfill his mission. And she's told by St. Simeon that her heart will be pierced, that she will suffer. And we also see her at the wedding of Cana, where we know she has knowledge that she will suffer for his mission. But she knows the mission is tremendous. She understands who her son is. And she is the one that calls him out. She is the one that calls him into performing his first task, his first mission. And he goes forward. And that point, he's, he's on. He's, he's at task. And, you know, it's also beautiful that it happened at a wedding and that it was an abundance of water that turned to wine because, again, that foreshadows the abundance of what happens within, within marriage between man and woman. The nature of woman is timeless. Our nature does not change. The cultural ideations change, and we try and fit ourselves into them, which, as we know, over the years for women can be a, a tremendous struggle. A woman's dignity is closely connected with the love which she receives by the very reason of her femininity, 
it is likewise connected with the love which she gives in return. That's John Paul II again. He coined the phrase then, the feminine genius, these things that we've talked about, based on our, our role model with, with Our Lady, based on what women do in our vocation to motherhood, co-creating with God, bringing life into the world, nurturing humanity, meeting human people in every place that we are, workplace, home life, grocery stores, wherever, extending our nature, which is nurturing, loving. You know, um, I have a little, I have a little Shih Tzu puppy that's about, she's about five pounds, and she hangs out with me at, at different things, different events and stuff, and I, I also have a business where I do counseling and stuff, and she's usually on my lap, or she's here in my arm. And I remember telling my daughter when she was like 14, she just stays right here. This is what she does. This is her nature. She, she is just so happy to exist right here. It's her nature. And, you know, like her little eyes will be droopy and sleepy sometimes and her tongue is hanging out half the time. But that's her nature, to just exist there, to be. And, um, and she's totally happy in it. And women are created with, with a nature that is, that is giving and we have strength and we have beauty and we have intuition. We have receptivity and empathy. We are self-giving. We have fidelity and acceptance. Those are, those are powerful words. It's within our nature. It's how we're made. And it doesn't mean we don't go out and get to conquer the world. Because we do. We do. St. Catherine Siena said this beautiful quote. It says, be who you were meant to be, and you will set the world on fire. St. Edith Stein again, another quote, and I'm going to end with these two. A woman's soul is fashioned as a shelter in which other souls may unfold. So beautiful, so beautiful. And she also said, the world doesn't need what women have, the world needs what women are. Are, yeah. So we can just rest in that. We can just be present in that. So thank you, thanks for coming. Thanks very much.